0: News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi.
1: Well, it is Remembrance Day, of course, and there are ceremonies in communities right across the country. And as always, a lot of attention focused on our National Remembrance Day ceremony in Ottawa. Well, Mike Armstrong is there at the National War Memorial to tell us what is going on there. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Are we expecting a big crowd today, given that this is the first time in a few years that there's been no restrictions?
2: Yeah, it, it, it's really going to be different from the last couple of years. You're, you're going to have people and veterans, for one thing. Uh, the last couple of years, people have been asked literally to stay away uh, from this uh, service. So that's going to be a big difference this year. The other thing, I've attended this service many, many times this is my first time as a journalist, but I've attended it with my family many times. It is never this warm. It's supposed to be about 14, 15 degrees, and normally it's uh, uh, biting cold, and it, somehow it's always windy and rainy as well, which always seems somber and somewhat appropriate. It's going to be very different. Uh, so we're going to have a full Grand Veterans Parade as well as a fly, fly pass uh, featuring uh, modern Royal Air, Canadian Air Force aircraft, but also if things go according to plan, if the weather holds out, Uh, a vintage uh, Second World War era Spitfire. Diplomats didn't attend last year. We expect them back to lay wreaths. This is recognition by our international friends and allies that Canadian men and women uh, served and often died in countries all around the world. And also a first in many, many years. They won't be singing God Save the Queen, but will instead sing, of course, God Save the King.
1: Oh, right. Of course. Well, that's going to be quite a change for a lot of people. Uh, you mentioned some diplomats there, dignitaries. We know that the one VIP who's not going to be there is the Prime Minister. So where is he?
2: Yeah, it's, it's not that unusual. The, the, the Prime Minister is expected to be present at uh, important international leaders' summits, like the G7, G20. Uh, and the apex summit often falls in the middle of November, as it does this year. And the way sort of international summitry works is they try and put these big international summits sort of around the same time of the year and around the same part of the the globe. So Trudeau is in Cambodia today for the ASEAN Summit for two days. Then he's in Bali, Indonesia for the G20 and then the APEC Summit in uh, Bangkok, Thailand. He has missed uh, one Remembrance Day here in Ottawa. That was 2018 when he was in Paris with other world leaders um, attending the 100th anniversary ceremonies, the 100th anniversary of the end of the First World War. Uh, And for what it's worth, Stephen Harper missed uh, or was not in uh, Ottawa for a couple of Remembrance Days. Uh, He marked Remembrance Day in Seoul once and also in Hong Kong once.
1: Right. Okay. International. It was the same reason, right? International summits?
2: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Okay. And we've got the Defence Minister who will be participating.
2: Yeah, well, actually, she's got sort of an interesting, uh, unique event Uh, that'll be in Toronto. She'll be on Bay Street for the opening uh, bell of the stock market. And that's uh, to raise awareness for the uh, important work of a group called Coding for Veterans. That's an organization that helps facilitate uh, Canadian military veterans' transition to the Canadian uh, technology sector.
1: Oh, that's nice. Okay, so then, Mike, can you give us an idea of what's going to happen in the order of events?
2: Yeah, so Global National will go on the air at uh, 10.30 Eastern. Uh, the Senior military commanders, including the chief of event staff, will already be here. Uh, dignitaries then arrive about 15 minutes uh, after that, the Silver Cross Mother, then, of course, uh, Governor General Mary Simon. Uh, the ceremony will begin with the singing of uh, O Canada, uh, playing of the last post, a moment of silence promptly at 11. And then there will be prayers and blessings from the Canadian Forces Chief Chaplain. We'll see that fly past of Air Force CF-18s at about 11.15. And then the official ceremony ends with the laying of the wreaths. But there is always that uh, unofficial ending of the ceremony. When, it, when every, everything's over, people then walk up to the tomb of the unknown soldier and lay their poppies uh, on the tomb. And that's always a, a very moving moment. I'll, yeah. I'll put it that way.
1: Nice to be able to see that this year for the first time in a while. Mike, thank you so much for giving us the update this morning. Thank you. This is Mornings with Simi. Craig is the president of the BC Yukon Command of the Royal Canadian Legion. Craig, thank you for being here.
3: Thank you for having me, Simi.
1: Now, Craig, what do you think about on Remembrance Day?
3: Well, I think about all of the veterans that have served and continue to serve our country that have given of themselves and been taken away from their families to provide the freedoms that we have in this country today.
1: You've been a member of the Legion for, what, more than 50 years?
3: Yes, I have.
1: And tell me about your time in the Canadian Forces.
3: I only spent a short time in the Canadian Forces. I was... um, about three years there and with the military police and then I transferred over to the RCMP but while I was in the RCMP I got to serve three um, missions overseas with the United Nations Peacekeeping Force so working side by side with Canadian battalions of the military and other militaries uh, overseas um, just yeah, a great experience, and I uh, got to see some of the combat areas or, or conflict areas, I guess, if you will, that uh, Canada actually uh, goes into.
1: Right. You served three United Nations missions as UN civilian police. You were in Yugoslavia, Kosovo, and East Timor. What was that like?
3: Well, there was civil war going on in all three of them. Uh, in Yugoslavia, they were still shooting at each other, and we were, uh, we were there to sort of monitor what was going on and um, in Kosovo the UN went in there to actually bring law and order back to that uh, particular province and and in East Timor um, the same thing there was a bit of a civil war going on there and uh, we were there to to try and uh, keep the peace there as well and to train uh, local police to do their jobs properly.
1: That must have been quite the experience has it stayed with you?
3: It has yes, uh, and and I would go again in a heartbeat if I had another chance, but uh, yeah it was, they were they were great uh, learning experiences, and uh, I got to see uh, meet a lot of people from a lot of different countries around the world and and work side by side with them it was it was a great experience
1: and now, on a day like today, then Craig, do you see a lot of people in the community? do you think that more people are taking the time on Remembrance Day?
3: I think they always have. And this year, because we don't have the pandemic restrictions, I think we're going to be back to where we were in in 2019 and and prior to that. I think our our cenotaphs are going to be crowded this year. I think the people have been wanting to come out to these um, ceremonies, but over the last two years have been restricted that way. And I think we're going to see some good crowds all across the province uh, because these restrictions are finally lifted, and people are going to be out, be able to come out and and just be with be with us and remember our veterans uh, today.
1: are we doing a good job of that, Craig? Do you feel like you know you know when I was growing up we were probably were not as good at it, but I do feel like in recent years the crowds have been good
3: yeah i I think we're doing pretty good at it um, I do believe with so many new Canadians coming into our country, we need to do a little better job of educating them on what the poppy means, Um, particularly in places that have a lot of international students coming in. We're finding that they don't really understand what it's all about. And I think we need to do a little better job of of educating new Canadians as to, to our traditions, to the symbolism of remembrance, which is the poppy, what it stands for and what today means to Canadians, um, and what should, you know, take some meaning to new Canadians as well.
1: And so do you expect this to be a busy day at the Legion? I know you've served in your local Legion branch in Kamloops, haven't you?
3: I have, yes. Yeah, yeah it's going to be a busy day. Um, all Legions uh, are expecting um, the usual, uh, what we've had prior to the pandemic, and that's usually full houses for a good part of the day after the ceremonies at local cenotaphs, Uh The legions are one of the places that, uh, that people tend to go to socialize a bit along with other veterans clubs uh, like the Army Navy Club and local armories and such like that. So, yeah, we're expecting people to be out and and uh, socializing and back to normal again, Simi.
1: Good. That's good. So, Craig, is there something that you would like people to keep in mind on a day like today?
3: What I would like to say is put a poppy on, and around the 11 o'clock hour, just take a moment and pause. Whatever you're doing, if you're not at a cenotaph, just pause and, and think about the men and women who have served this country in the past, and are currently serving our country to ensure that we have the freedoms that we expect in this country such as the right to be able to protest and and such like that we wouldn't have that in some countries and and it's only because of our veterans and our current veterans serving that we have those freedoms and rights And that's what I want people to reflect on today.
1: And we will. Craig, thank you for your time.
3: Thank you, Simi. I appreciated having this opportunity.
1: This is Mornings with Simi. Well, this report got a lot of attention this week coming from the Vancouver Police Department. It was their social safety net report, and they really were plugging that number of $5 billion a year spent on the social safety net for the downtown east side. But as we know from lots of discussion this week, uh, that number is flawed right? There's a lot of perspective and context that number needs to have. Uh, but you know what? The VPD is plowed ahead. They, they were very public about this. They held a press conference and talked about it, uh, despite the fact that many critics continue to say this analysis was deeply flawed. Well, joining us now is Jen St. Denis, who's a downtown Eastside beat reporter with the TIE, has a new piece on this that you should check out at E.ca. Jen, thanks for being here.
4: Thanks, Sydney. Good morning.
1: Let's talk a little bit about this. Like watching this all unfold this week, it seemed very unusual. Have you ever seen a police department do something like this before?
4: Well, the Vancouver Police Department has actually done a number of reports in the past that do kind of focus on these issues, like the increasing um, work that police do kind of around mental health issues. So it's that part is not that unusual. But I think what we're seeing is a bit of a new playbook from police agencies across Canada. Um, because this company that the VPD contracted to do this report, HelpSeeker, has actually done the same kind of report for other um, for other police departments um, in a couple of other Canadian cities, and it's actually been spun in really similar way. So there's a little bit of a political playbook going on behind this um, this particular kind of report. Okay,
1: in what way? What do you think?
4: So. Uh, so this company, Helpseeker Technology, what they what they say they do is that they do data mining. So they kind of go through all these different data sources that they can access. So that's things like CRA, um, a big database called. Um the Canadian Institute of Health Information, I think it's called, and a bunch of other sources like charitable filings and all that kind of stuff. And they kind of hoover up all of this information. um, And what they have come out with in various cities is just an enormous number when they say, and they do it for like one specific city, so like Edmonton or Vancouver, um, so, for Edmonton, they said the figure was seven point five billion dollars a year spent on what they 're calling the social safety net in Vancouver. They have this five billion dollar number, and that is an enormous number like those are huge numbers. Yeah. I was taking a look when I first saw the report, and it 's like seven percent of the british columbia government 's entire you know operating expenditures a year so it 's just it is it 's quite outsized and it seems to be designed to kind of Stoke this outrage of like, oh my gosh, we're spending so much money. Um, are we spending it in the right place?
1: Right. You mentioned the Edmonton figures there. I've been reading about this too. Uh, what was the reaction like in Edmonton when this same group, you know, and the police service there came out with one of these reports?
4: Yeah. Well, it's the the police chief, um, as the VPD did in Vancouver. Um, the police chief in Edmonton did a press a similar press conference. Um, and yeah, they were really, he was really outlining like, oh, this is a really enormous number. And look, the police budget is quite small, um, in the, in the grand scheme of this enormous spending that we do on the social safety net. And so they're attempting to place the police budget in amongst all of this other spending. And this is happening, of course, at a time when, um, there's a lot of community advocates and groups suggesting that we take, you know, we take a second look at police budgets how much we 're spending on the police, um, all the activities that the police do are some of those activities appropriate, or could that be done by other agencies? Um, you know or some of them would some of them be more appropriately done by mental health nurses or social workers, for instance? so there is that whole um, political discussion happening, and we 've seen police departments really um, become a lot more political in trying to defend um, all of the work that they do, including all of that mental health stuff, um, they want to keep it and um, also, you know, keep their budgets and make the case that that they that they need increases. So that's kind of the context in which right. this is happening.
1: What did you think of the reaction then, Jen, to you know, the police, the Vancouver police doing this?
4: So that was really interesting. You know, we kind of initially I initially heard about this report just through rumblings through like sort of my source different sources and there was this kind of confusion over why the police were the ones commissioning this report on the social safety net like why are they the ones who are sort of would be qualified to do this it didn't really seem like a great fit Um, and then we saw that global news got this sort of leaked summary of the report um and And, you know, like there were people like Kevin Falcon, the um, opposition leader, kind of saying, wow, this is this seems to indicate something is wrong and a lot of sort of outrage online. And then when we got the full report, um, you know, there were a lot of really hard questions um, for the author of the report, report, Alina Turner, who's the co-president of Help Seeker and um, the Vancouver Police Department at this press conference. Pretty much every reporter really, really gobsmacked by some of the stuff that that were that was like, stuck into this five billion dollar figure so for instance social assistance payments disability payments old age security payments which really led um to a question like does you know does this really include um you know a senior who lives in a really expensive house in shaughnessy um, but might be getting old age security would be like included in this figure um also like the entire police budget was included in this figure so i mean that to me that's a question of how does giving out traffic tickets contribute to the social safety net? So there was just, there was just a ton of, um, of stuff in here. And right. then, of course we, we wanted to know what the mayor thought as well.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about that because I'm pretty sure the yeah. mayor's reaction to this is probably not what the VPD had in mind.
4: No. And, you know, uh, we have a new mayor in Vancouver, Ken Sam, and he was elected on this headline, you know, his headline campaign promise was hiring hundred more police officers and 100 more um, mental health nurses, but the 100 more police officers, that always comes first in all the advertising and all that stuff. So we were really curious to ask him what he thought of this report, and he really dismissed this report, um, you know, in a bit of a subdued way, but he was saying, you know, this this report doesn't really seem to make um, a lot of sense, we have a lot of questions that haven't been answered, and it ultimately, he called it um, just not a very useful report. And a key thing that we were asking was, you know, would any future budget decisions be based on this report? Whether it's like an increased ask from police for their budget, or, or you know, whether there was a lot of like questions about the downtown east side and how money is spent there. So we asked, you know, would this report be used to like cut any funding from the downtown east side programs? And so the answer on both of those questions um, from the mayor was no, this report um, was not strong enough to kind of like lead to any of those budgetary decisions. So
1: interesting. Probably not the outcome the VPD were hoping for, but we'll see what happens. Jen, thank you for that. Thank you. This is Mornings with Simi. I wouldn't blame you at all, Surrey residents, if you are very concerned at this point about what is going on with policing in your community. There seems to be a lot of back and forth going on, even in the last 24 hours. We've heard that the union, representing 295 Surrey Police Service officers has come out and said, listen, they vehemently opposed this new plan by the Surrey Mayor, Brenda Locke, to keep the Surrey RCMP operating within the city. In fact, the vast majority of those officers have said that if that happens, they will not join the RCMP. Now, Brenda Locke, who was just sworn in on Monday, has previously said that, listen, all of those officers could just sign on with the Mounties and everything would continue on. Well, these officers are saying, no, they would not do that. So what is this stalemate? What is happening here? Joining us now is Melissa Granham, the Executive Director of the Surrey Police Board. Melissa, thanks for being back with us.
4: You're welcome, and good morning
0: on this Remembrance Day.
1: Yes, uh, definitely. We're telling lots of good stories about Remembrance Day, too, and we encourage people to do that with us. Uh, talking about, though, this policing situation, are, are you concerned at all about this back and forth?
0: Well, I I think um, I can't speak for the officers of the union or the press release that they issued yesterday, um, but their results don't surprise me. Um, And I I am concerned about the back and forth because ultimately public safety uh, boils down in many ways to um, people's feelings of safety in the community. And I think it's important for both sides that we um, get some decisions and we can move forward with some clarity.
1: Okay. Oh, has the Surrey Police Board received any direction or had any communication with the income of the new mayor? Uh, we've
0: not yet. We are working on uh, arranging for a meeting between uh, mayor and council and the board.
1: Okay, so that hasn't happened yet, though. Is everything else proceeding as normal? Like, are you proceeding as though everything is regular?
0: Yes, and that's because we are guided by the directions of the Trilateral Committee, and the Trilateral Committee is made up of three levels of government, the city, the province, and the federal government. And there were multiple agreements in place prior to the election that directed the actions of both the board and the RCMP. And as of yet, we've been told to carry on with what we're doing uh, by the province itself.
1: Okay, and so hiring is still happening? Everything else is proceeding?
0: Well, it, and hiring is a little bit of a challenge right now. Obviously, people who have put in applications are concerned about what's going on. So I would suggest that hiring has probably slowed down until the decision is made by government.
1: Okay, and how is the policing working right now, Melissa? What is the cooperation like between the Surrey Police Service and the RCMP? So from
0: what I understand, at the front line, so the officers who are responding to calls, the the working relationship is... Is is excellent. Uh, they're doing a good job together, and and there's a lot of camaraderie. And and our police officers, the Surrey police officers, bring a significant amount of experience to the front line. On average, I believe we're about seven or eight years of policing experience at the front line. Uh, so there's uh, a good relationship there because you know it's, it's no secret that Surrey's been short staffed with policing, and so. Uh, our 184 police officers are, are a welcome addition to the front line for Surrey. So that, that's working well.
1: Okay, and so how does the call-out work then? Is it just an integration thing where the two the two teams are working together?
0: Yeah, so when I spoke earlier about the agreements in place, we have something called the Human Resources Strategy and Plan, and that directs the deployment of the Surrey police officers. So there's a cadence involved and a structure involved. So every two months, uh, a, a cadre of Surrey police officers are integrated under the command of the RCMP until such time as we receive a transition of police jurisdiction to the SPS. And then Chief Wilkinski would take command of policing in Surrey. And then the reverse would happen where uh, we would deploy our police officers and there would be a slow transition out of the RCMP and those members would be reposted to different areas, uh, depending on what the RCMP decided to do.
1: Right. Okay. So then up until now, Melissa, how would you categorize recruitment? How has it been going? It's
0: been... Uh, overwhelmingly good. Uh, we find that people want to come to Surrey because they want to be a part of something new, innovative, and progressive. Uh, we have had over 500 applications alone just for Justice Academy recruit positions, uh, and currently we have 28 JI um, recruits. Uh, we've had over a 1,000, I'm not sure the exact number, but over 1,000, 1,200 applications for exempt officers as well. So the interest in coming to Surrey Police Service is exceptional, and it's, it's uh, an outlier for policing in general, where there's been a, a challenge for police departments to recruit police officers.
1: What have you heard then about how some of the current employees are feeling right now? So we've heard,
0: we have um, been made aware of issues related to the treatment of our staff, and I understand Chief Wilkinski is planning to report more comprehensively to the board in the near future on that. Um, But as as the issue relates to Respect for Workplace Matters, the problem we have is that we have two different employment structures. So the board employs municipal officers who fall under provincial legislation and under the oversight of the police complaint commissioner. The RCMP, on the other hand, are federal, and their legislation is federal, and they have no local or provincial oversight body to hold them accountable. So we're not dealing with the same deck of cards, if you will. So the board has no oversight of the RCMP's conduct, even as it relates to our staff. So that is a point of frustration for us. So we have heard uh, anecdotally some issues, um, but again, we don't have um, uh, a legislative structure in place where we have any oversight of, of that environment.
1: Right, but that is something that you feel like we're going to be talking more about publicly.
0: Uh, Yes and no. I mean, you know, when police officers are feeling that they've not been treated properly, that's not necessarily something that we would take public. It's something that we would deal with to ensure that our police officers feel that they're working in a respectful and safe
1: environment. Right, because it seems like it's all tied together, right? Like there were a lot of reasons why there was dissatisfaction with the RCMP in Surrey. Um, does, so what are the next steps here, Melissa? What's going to happen?
0: Well, we're, we're waiting uh, patiently for a decision from provincial government. Uh, so there's a number of reports that the government will receive to determine their next steps. Uh, and so the focus of the board right now is to ensure that our police officers are feeling uh, taken care of and protected And uh, confident to stay with SPS, uh, obviously losing Surrey police officers to other agencies. And as we know, um, it's a very competitive market right now to attract police officers. And, And our goal is to keep as many police officers in Surrey as we can for the benefit of all of Surrey.
1: Right. So what the next step then would it be within weeks, within the next month? Like when do these reports go to the provincial government?
0: Uh, well, I, I know that the city is working on a report to government. From what I understand, they'll be submitting it after their November 20th council meeting. I, that's what I understand to be true. Um, and from there, the government will take its time to ensure that it's making the right decision. So I, I can't speak for government on their timelines. Um, but I know that they understand that you know time is of the essence for everybody on this.
1: Right, sure, sounds like it. And in the meantime, then, Melissa is still making the efforts to sit down with the new Surrey mayor and talk about these issues? Yes, I mean,
0: the mayor, Mayor Locke is the chair of our police board moving forward. And and so at some point here in the next couple of weeks prior to our first uh, board meeting where she will sit as chair, we will onboard her and and brief her on where we are with uh, Surrey Police Service and uh, move forward with her as our chair.
1: All right, we look forward to hearing more. Melissa, thank you. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're welcome.